Welcome to your Relationship Lovecast by True Potential, the weekly web show and podcast that explores relationships and wellness, featuring in-depth interviews with acclaimed authors, wellness experts, health influencers, and spiritual leaders so that you can create a relationship and life you love. And now your host, Andrea Carella. Welcome back to your Relationship Lovecast. Several years ago, I watched an incredible TED Talk by Simon Sinek, who spoke about leadership and business and began the Start With Why revolution. We will discuss this concept more in depth on today's show, episode 28, and we'll apply this concept to our relationships with our romantic partner, family members, friends, and our relationship with ourselves and our purpose. In our current busy, stressed, and overstimulated routine, we can lose sight of our why and get lost in all the to-dos and running around patterns of behavior. We get caught up in urgency and lose sight of what is most important. This can happen in our work and home environment when we don't take the time to reflect and decide what our heartfelt and awe-inspiring driver for why we do what we do. In order for us to apply this start with why concept in our relationship, our communication, and our decision-making process, I have invited David Mead, who works with the world-renowned thought leader, Simon Sinek, as a corporate trainer. David believes that every one of us deserves to wake up inspired to go to work, feel safe while they're there, and come home at the end of the day fulfilled by the work we do. He works with leaders to help them create an environment where people show up to work because they want to, not because they have to. Everything David does is designed to propel positive change so they can meaningfully touch the lives of others. David began developing communication and content, which evolved into speaking and facilitating workshops inspired by Simon's simple yet powerful message. David now travels internationally, helps people shift their perceptions about the reason their organization really exists, what leadership is, and how human biology plays into it all. He has presented to over 80 organizations in a wide variety of industries, including Johnson & Johnson, Capital One, and Home Depot. David also co-hosts the Start With Why podcast, which is downloaded in over 150 countries and counting. Thank you so much, David, for being with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Great. So can you briefly explain the start with why concept? Sure. Uh, So this is something that Simon discovered about 10 years ago now. And the simple idea behind it is that every single one of us knows what we do. Some know how we do it or how we're different or special or how we set set ourselves apart from somebody else. But very few individuals and organizations, for that matter, really understand and more importantly can articulate why they do what they do. And so uh, this basic concept is around uh, focusing on that why component of it because we're really good at what and how, but sometimes the why can be lacking. And it really gives that that purpose or that drive or that direction to everything that we do. Mm. Now, how can we apply this concept to our romantic relationships, our relationships with our parents and siblings, as well as our children? You know, I think... This is such a human concept, and the, the great thing about it is that it can apply to any relationship that you have, whether that be personal or uh, in business. But the whole idea behind it is the why is really about a long-term view. And so often, you know, in, our, in relationships or at work, we're so focused on the short term, right? We have a problem or a challenge or something that we're trying to overcome. And 
we have a hard time looking past that specific issue or that specific challenge or problem. What the why allows us to do is to look, again, take that step back, sort of get that 30,000 foot view of why are we really in this to begin with? What did we come together to build? What did we come together to accomplish uh, in the long term? And so when we can look at that, specifically in the realm of per close personal relationships or, or family, it, it's taking a step back and recognizing where, I mean, we're, we're stuck together. We're family. There's, not, there's really nothing you can do about that. You can't really quit or get fired from your family. Figuring out where is it that we really want to be in 10, 15, 20 years? What kind of um, family environment do we want to build? Where are we headed together? What's the destination? And we, when we can keep a view on that, that sort of perspective allows us to take those maybe short-term challenges or, or immediate things that we're dealing with and just look at them in a little different light. And so if somebody's entering into a, a romantic relationship or they're choosing to get married or have children, what sort of thought process should they go through to really articulate and define what their why is? This is the, the real challenge is putting that why into words because the why is it's a belief, it's a feeling. And so, um, and, and as Simon talks about in his TED Talk, the why is born in the limbic part of the brain, which is the part of the brain that controls feelings, uh, but it doesn't control language. And so we have a hard time articulating why we do what we do. And this is the reason that most people start with what instead of starting with why is because the what is easy to talk about and the why is a little more difficult. In terms of a relationship, the why is really based on common values and beliefs. If you have a common set of values and beliefs, and this is just a human thing, no matter what type of relationship we're in, we feel most comfortable with people who share common values and beliefs. We like to be around people who uh, are similar to us, who share common values and beliefs. This is just a, a social phenomenon that makes us human. And so when we're entering into a relationship, even though we might not necessarily sit down and say, okay, here's our relationship and let's articulate a why for it. If we can have that relationship with somebody who shares common values and beliefs, that's a great starting point. That's where you feel the connection. That's where you feel the trust. Again, feelings come from that limbic part of the brain. And when we connect with people on that feeling level, even though on the outside looking in, people don't seem like a very good match. Uh, all the what's maybe point to the fact that they shouldn't be together. But when you're with that person, something about them just feels right. You can trust them. You can be yourself around them. You feel like you have commonalities and similarities that bring you together that's really the seed of the why. It's not that you have to go through a formal process to articulate the why for your relationship. You may choose to do that and say, hey, where do we want to be in 25, 50 years? But the most more important thing is do your values and beliefs align because that's really what's going to keep you together moving in the same direction. Mm. And how, how might this apply also to parenting when, when two people maybe have had different upbringing or different ways of approaching parenting? And how can they bridge that gap so that they can resolve and come to some sort of agreement and collaborative partnership in that parenting decision? Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because that's very topical at my house today. <laughs> <laughs> so you can speak from personal experience, I would imagine. I can, yeah. My wife and I come from very, very different backgrounds. We were raised differently. We were brought up differently. And when we're raising uh, our son, who's six years old, and we've got another one on the way, but we differ a little bit in the way that we would, going back to the golden circle, in the how, 
we would go about raising our son, right? And so if you're focused on on what you're doing or how you're doing it, these these conflicts can arise, these little petty things can come up and say, well, I think you know doing it this way is better than your way, and so we can get into these little disagreements and arguments. If we put those aside for a minute, and again, take that 30,000 foot view and think about what what are we really trying to accomplish? Why, why did we decide to be parents? It's not so that I can be right and you can be wrong. It's so that we can together raise this child to become more than we ever were ourselves. With that perspective, then we can come up with new ideas, with new ways. It's not about my idea versus your idea. Now it's not what's in our best interest, but what's in the best interest of our son. I think that's one way that you can apply that in a, uh, in a parenting relationship. Mm, great. Now, how can people who are in a committed relationship shift their perceptions on the reason their partnership exists or be able to shift their perceptions when they're in that disagreement so that they can come together and work together? This idea of perception is a huge thing. And you talk about shifting your perception, which is super, super important. If we're not careful, and again, if we have that short-term view, which is usually rooted in what we do and how we do it, then we have we take things a, sort of a step at a time. We, we solve a challenge or we overcome a roadblock the best that we know how with the information that we have right then. But what the why allows you to do in this perception shift is, again, to lift your head up a little bit rather than looking at your feet you look up and you look down the road a few years and you just, again, shift your perception. What is it that we're really trying to accomplish here? What is it that we're in this for the long long haul for? I mean, I'm not a relationship expert. You are. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll use my limited ability to speak to this. But nobody gets married thinking that it's only going to last for six months or a year. You don't go into it that way. You don't go into a committed relationship of any kind, whether it's marriage or anything else, thinking, geez, this is probably going to be great for six months and then it'll probably fall apart. The reason that it often does fall apart or the reason that we often do run into those challenges, I feel, is just because we fail to take that long-term view. We get so stuck on the short term, we are looking down at our feet rather than looking down the road, working together on the same side of the table to figure out what is it that we want to work to toward that's bigger than ourselves that we need each other to get, get to. And we often get selfish and worry about what am I getting out of this or what am I not getting out of this? I think that that's a huge uh, component that creates a lot of conflict and and a lack of collaboration is when we are so focused on just our point of view and not being able to look at the big picture and to really see the the impact of our words and our actions and also realizing that it's not just an I, but it's a we and how to be able to to work together and be mindful of some of those perceptions that can get in the way or interfere from looking at things with fresh eyes or yeah, from a new perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, what is leadership in a relationship and what would that ideally look like? I know that you typically focus on leadership in in the business arena and in organizations, but I would imagine some of those same principles apply in leadership of a home or of a family. Uh, they absolutely do, specifically with the, the way that we define leadership. The, you know, the traditional approach to leadership is that it's a position or a title or a rank of some kind, but the way that we see leadership is that leadership is a choice, and it's the choice to take care of the person to the left of you 
and to take care of the person to the right of you. Uh, leadership is really about creating an environment where people feel safe, where they feel like they belong. And when you can create that type of environment, whether it's in an organization or at home in a relationship, that's where trust and loyalty are built. So leadership is not, uh, you know, it doesn't happen in, in the, the big grandiose events. It happens in the day-to-day -day little boring stuff. And really what leadership comes down to is putting the interests of somebody else before your own. And, and the little thing, and as parents, we do this all the time without even realizing it. We will happily make sure that our children are fed before we are. We just naturally do it because we want to create that environment where they feel safe. When we do these little things for our spouses, hold the door open, or whatever it is that puts their interests before our own, that's leadership. Mm, beautiful. And I, I think that so often, especially, I think we can start off that way. That's why in the relationship at the beginning, there's all that romance and being able to really prioritize the other person and to really share that that love. And I think over time, sometimes that concept shifts and we maybe feel depleted or we feel stressed or we feel burnt out or we feel empty in some way. And then we quickly resort to that ego way of operating of what can I get and how can I get my needs met and not really think about, about that big picture. So I think keeping that leadership concept top of mind that everyone can be a leader in the group. It's not just a hierarchy of one person or another or me versus you, but rather a philosophy of how you choose to be in your relationship that actually focuses on the betterment of the whole. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting that you bring up this concept of, you know, in the beginning of the relationship where there's the romance and all this kind of stuff. Simon gets into this a lot in his second book, Leaders Eat Last, and he talks about the, the different chemicals that are fired off in the brain that sort of get us to, to act the way that we do. Mm. And so the beginning stages of a relationship, there's a lot of dopamine that's released. This is a, a self-serving chemical that you know, makes us feel like we're achieving something, like we're finding what we're looking for when you get that date, when you get her to call you back or whatever it is. And so this, this dopamine sort of fueled relationship, it's exciting and it's fun and it's short, they're short-term hits. And so you got to go out on another date and you got to you know, do more stuff. And it, it, that's what feeds it. Mm. But what really gets people to stay together in the long term is a, a long lasting chemical that's released in the brain called oxytocin. And this is the, the root of trust, of empathy, of loyalty. Mm. These are the long lasting things that, that it, it's not about serving yourself. It's about putting others first. And when you put others first, oxytocin is released. And that's what keeps people together in those trusting and loyal relationships. Mm. And how might this apply also if a partnership is, if two parents are creating this environment in the home where they are are focusing on those moments, those precious simple moments in our day-to-day -day life that really allow for that bonding hormone, that oxytocin to be released periodically in the relationship and in the home. And what would that look like if that's not present? What would be some of those things that we would see if it is present, if it's not present, and what would be the consequence for each? Sure. Uh, so I'll give you a couple of examples. So two main ways in which oxytocin is released are human touch. So contact is, is extremely important. This is why children are always grabbing onto their parents because it makes them feel safe. So as an example of that, um, parenting, if you think about it, if you're thinking about the parenting example, you could 
let's say that you want to make sure that your son or daughter feels included in the, in, in the family and you're, you, you value their opinion. You could send your son a text message that says, dear son, your mother and I really want to make sure that you feel a part of this family. We love you. We want to, we want to make sure that you're getting what you need. Please respond and tell us what we can do better as parents. Or you can go into his room, you can sit down in his bed, put your arm around him and say the exact same words. Which one is going to have a, a greater effect on your relationship? I would imagine the touch. I would think so too, right? This mm. is the oxytocin bit. The second way that you can release oxytocin is through acts of human generosity and kindness, which is giving of your time and energy without expecting anything in return. Classic example that we see all the time is, you know, a parent that will go to a, uh, a child's ballet recital or spelling bee or football game or whatever it is. If you as a parent are sitting in the stands, working on your phone, answering emails, and the only time that you look up is when you hear a cheer, your kid's going to notice that. You're giving your time, but you're not giving your energy, right? Mm. Uh, it's this idea of being fully engaged, putting your device away and being there with your family when it's time to be with your family. I, I've sort of given you the, you know, what it looks like when it's there and what it looks like when it's not. Mm. But there are these simple examples that we see every single day. And so often if we're not careful, they can sort of pass us by and we don't realize that they're happening. Mm, right. Now, what are some simple ways that a couple or a, a family could apply these principles when specifically when dealing with conflict or adversity or challenges or problems that come up in life, like a loss of a job, a move, a loss of a child, a loss of a parent, those sorts of things, and how, how can we apply these principles so that couples can stay on the right track? Well, I think it sort of depends on, on what you've got in front of you. If it's, if it's a conflict uh, between, you know, two, uh, between partners, for example, that's a little bit different, I think, than if you as a, as a couple are dealing with the loss of a child or a loss of a parent. The, the reason that I make the distinction, at least the way that the distinction shows up in my mind, is if you imagine a table, right? When you have conflict, this is my experience, it feels like I'm on one side of the table and my wife is on the other side of the table and we're sitting there, you know, pecking at each other, trying to figure out which side of the table we should be on, right? Mm. Or the reason that you should be on my side of the table or the reason I should be on her side of the table. Mm -hmm. With the other, where you've got something like, you know, a death in the family or something like that, it feels more like you're both on the same side of the table tackling the same problem. And I think you approach it a little bit differently depending on what that situation is, but either way, whether it's conflict between a couple or whether it's a couple dealing with something external to them, the thing that I've always tried to envision in, in my mind, and I'm not sure if this is answering the question directly, but this is how I think about it and how it relates to these concepts is mm. we can't look together to that future, to that destination, to that world we imagine, which is the why, if we're sitting looking at each other across the table. We both have to be on the same side of the table, looking in the same direction, looking at that distance, not down at our feet, but why are we in this for the long haul? What are we trying to build here? What is this going to look like in 5, 10, 15 years? What did we commit to? It's, again, that shift in perception or that perspective that you talked about is rather than only looking at what we're dealing with right now, how does that affect the whole? Let's step back and look at the bigger picture. Yeah, and I, I think some of the key components that in that of being able to resolve conflict. I think one key component is empathy, 
to be able to have empathy for the other person that allows you to put yourself in their shoes and, and understand their point of view for the big bigger picture so that basically you're communicating, listening to one another, seeking to understand one another, being able to be vulnerable, open and honest with one another in a in a in very intentional and mindful way. And that, that if that conversation happens and has all those components to it, that really they can be able to see how they can work together and be on the same team. Because sometimes it can be hard, especially when that emotive part of the brain, the limbic system is fight, flight, freeze response and getting activated or that panic or that distress where we go into maybe that survival mode of fighting or arguing or moving away from and avoiding those tendencies, that those components can allow people to stay in the conversation ultimately so that they can look towards that long-term objective why as well as the present day steps that they need to take to be able to get there. Yeah, absolutely. It's really easy to talk about this you know, in an interview, but when you're in the moment, mm. getting out of that limbic brain and out of that fight or flight response and switching on that that um you know that that switch of putting their interests before your own that is such a hard thing to do uh, mm. and i fail at it day after day after day but being conscious of it and recognizing it is the, is the first step to, for me that when i get into a situation where i feel like i'm going to point the finger it's all about me when what i'm getting or what i'm not getting at least i am conscious and i remember that hey you know what for this to work out i mean let's be honest how many times have i done this the wrong way and it never turns out right so what if, what if in a small way, I tried to understand, I tried to be empathetic, I tried to create that environment where you feel safe, where you feel like you belong, where we're on the same page, where we're going after the same thing. It always turns out better that way. Mm. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I absolutely. And and I think you're right. It's It's hard when we're in that moment, if we're not mindful or conscious or skilled in that way to be able to to pull ourselves off the track <laughs> that's going in the angry doomsday town yeah. direction of nothing really being resolved because it hasn't been resolved using that way of operating in the past. To yeah. really pull yourself away from that emotional charge moment is is huge. And then you can actually really, once you're aware, you can actually change things. Right. And, and this is the, the other key thing about leadership that we talk about is applies, again, any aspect of your life. But leadership is, is a practice. This is not something that you're going to be great at overnight. This is something that you chip away at day after day after day after day. And we often sort of compare it to, to working out. So let's say that you decide you want to get in shape. So you go to the gym, you run on the treadmill for 45 minutes, you come home, you look in the mirror and you see nothing. And so you go back the next day and you run on the treadmill for 45 minutes and you get all sweaty and tired and you come home and you look in the mirror and you see nothing. And so you think, this sucks. This isn't working. I'm not going to keep going to the gym. And so we quit. Mm. But if you continue to go to the gym, you know, 30, 45 minutes, day after day after day after day, eventually, can't tell you when it's going to be. Is it going to be a month? Is it going to be six months? I don't know. You're going to see the difference. And more importantly, other people will see the difference in you but it's that commitment to keeping at it because if we just do it for three days and it doesn't work and so we quit, nothing's ever going to change. Absolutely. I think it, it's that commitment of dropping those little coins in the bucket what day after day is going to 
accumulate to a lot of coins in your jar, metaphorically speaking. Yeah, and you can absolutely. apply that to anything in your life, whether it be your health, whether it be your relationships with romantic partners, whether it be on your business objectives and goals. That little makes a big difference. Sure. Yeah, great. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience? Any resources or any other points that we didn't cover that you would like to make sure that we touch upon? Uh, I think we've covered the points pretty well. I'll um, I'll give a couple of other resources or places that people can go for a little more information if they'd like. Um, sure. So our website is startwithwhy.com, W-H-Y.com. We also have a Start With Why podcast, um, which in which we talk about all kinds of different topics. But basically, the idea is to help you sort of internalize this idea and begin to apply it. So those couple of things, uh, and if you just Google Simon Sinek, you'll get days worth of um, reading and videos, which are really, really inspiring too. Great. Thank you so much, David, for coming on today's show. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Great. So there you have it. I hope you found this podcast as interesting and as informative as I did. And to get access to the show notes and links mentioned on the show, head on over to truepotentialcounseling.com. And if you like this podcast, if you could please leave a review in iTunes so we can have more impact and reach more people. Thank you so much. And we will catch you next week on Relationship Lovecast. Thanks for listening to Lovecast by True Potential at www.truepotentialcounseling.com. 